I think I fell asleep, not because it wasn't good, but because that's what happens after 9 p.m. Uh, but I, I just loved it. I loved what I saw, um, partly because we've been doing Genesis all year. We looked at, they were doing Abraham and Lot, and, you know, Lot went down to Sodom, and then he comes out. I, I just thought it was really, really good. It must provoke you. It must provoke people, and, and, partly, and it must even provoke Christians who have got to the point where they don't necessarily believe the story. You know, they don't actually believe by faith what the... You know, because if you just read the Bible, that's what you get. You get this story about, you know, God making the world, Noah's Ark, and, and, yet, and yet some Christians will go, oh, I don't actually believe in those things, really. But actually, if you just read the Bible, you, you, you know, you have to have another thought that, innate, that goes, I don't actually believe it. Because if you read it, that's what it tells you. So I loved it, and, you know, something in me just thinks that that type of thing being shown on, um, you know, primetime television, and do you know what? We missed X Factor to watch it, yeah? So for us, that's big, yeah? We're like X Factor fans. Um, I mean, Pauline and I are the girls. The girls seem to have grown out of X Factor, which is a bit of a shame. Um, um, but they'll grow back into it. I think that's what happens. Um, but I, I just think that type of thing is just going to provoke people. You know, I, I, you know, I just loved... Yeah, I didn't see it all, but that little portrayal of Abraham as a man who said, uh, God has spoken to me, and as a result, we're on the move. And, uh, and then when, when the, boat, the, the bit where Lot goes off and, and Abraham says, how, how can I be the, the father of a nation when I can't even be the father of my family? I'm like, ah, oh, it was just wonderful, I thought. I really like that type of thing. And so, anyway, so we did Abraham a while back, and now we're into Joseph, and this is the last of the series of, of, of Joseph and the last in our series on Genesis. Um, but in some ways, it's not going to be that sort of last type of talk. You know, I'm not going to do this big summary of everything we've done before. It's a, it's, it's a fresh thing that God is saying and doing in us. Uh, I believe. And so I, I, what I wanted to do, because, I mean, this can either discourage or encourage me, I just want to get some, do a recap with the congregation on what we've done in Joseph. So, um, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to brace myself, if no one can say anything, um, that, you know, a God can speak anyway. Um, but we've talked about, uh, the last few weeks we've talked about Joseph. Just, I just want you to call out some of the Thoughts, themes, ideas that have either come out or that you've picked up from what we've talked about. Oh, great, great. So something. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so even if no one says anything else, that was one. Uh, see you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anything else? And everything that we go through, God is with us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got some star peoples in today. Anything else? Whoa, yo, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're like, there's a few of us that are, that are sort of listening. Um, anything else? The character change of the, the brothers. <coughs> yeah. Brother yeah, so the brothers changed. And, yeah. Uh, do you know what? You, that's an A plus for this group. <laughs> yeah, not that there's any other group to compare you to, but for me, that's an A plus. Um, so all of those things um, we talked about, you know, God meant, meant it for good and all the things that you've just said uh, are just wonderful examples of it. Um, and as I was thinking about this today, I, I just had this thought. 
And, and behind a lot of what we've talked about and behind you know, um, the, the, the whole idea of preaching or certainly preaching for me and, and, and behind what we try and do in, in the church is this. It's the idea that if we can get the truth into, into our hearts, it actually changes how we then live. If you can actually get it into your heart, it changes how you live. And um, thinking and knowing something is true are two different things. Yeah, I can, I can know something in my head, I can think something to be true, um, and that leads me to one type of response, but when I know it's true in my heart, it leads to another. Yeah, let me just give you a really silly example. Um, I could think to myself that, that you know, uh, there was one point where I, where I remember thinking, uh, Pauline might like me. Yeah? Now, I, you know, she would say, well, actually, you liked me before, and there was all that type of stuff. Uh, but I remember thinking that, but thinking that she might like me uh, might lead me to have some nice feelings. Knowing that she did, uh, you know, led us to get married. It was a completely different thing. Thinking and knowing can be completely different. I can think something's true, but if I don't allow that truth to permeate from my mind to my heart, at one level, I respond no different to the person who never knew the truth. If I don't allow the truth to go from here to here, it doesn't actually impact how I respond. Yeah? So, um, uh, you know, just an example. Yeah? Because, and when a truth hits your heart, there is a natural response to that truth. Yeah? It's not like it hits your heart and then it's random what happens. It hits your heart and something will happen. Yeah? So uh, let me give you another example. Uh, maybe a sort of... Um, uh, so you become a Christian. So we're, I'm, you know, we might all be Christians here, I don't, I don't know. But let's assume you've become a Christian and you've discovered for yourself that, that you know, Jesus died on the cross for you, that, that there was nothing you could do to be saved. It was only what he did that made this possible. But as a result, you, you can come into this relationship with God and have this new identity. Yeah? I can know that in my head. Yeah? And I could repeat it to you, I could write it out, I could write an essay on what it means to be saved, I could know that in my head, but unless it touches my heart, some things will happen, some things won't happen. If that truth touches my heart, the most natural response to understanding salvation is gratitude to God. It's the most natural thing. Oh my goodness, is that really true? Is that really, did God really do that? It's not about what I did. It's not about my effort or performance, but actually I'm saved by grace alone through faith in Christ. Is that really true? If I, if I know that, if I get that in my heart, the most natural thing I will do is I will go, oh, thank you, Jesus. It's natural. I don't need to work that up. Oh, I better do that. No, if that really gets into my heart, the most natural thing to me would be to go, thank you, Jesus. I give my life to you. I, I, I would serve you, Jesus. It's natural. It doesn't need anything working up. But if I know that truth about you know, Jesus and, and, and the cross and all those things, and it doesn't hit my heart, do you know what I then do? The most natural response is I try harder. I work at it. I sort of think... Oh, okay, so God's done all that, and isn't that, I'm so grateful God's done that, what, what can I do for God? 
What can I do for him? I can, you know, and so I try, I, I put effort in, I do all the right things. Because the truth, the deep truth, hasn't gone from my head to my heart. It has to go to your heart if you're going to get the response that it's meant to bring out. You know, you need to know the truth and the truth will set you free. But knowing the truth is not a head thing, it's a heart thing. The, 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 the issue around, you think about Jesus and the days in which he lived and, and, and you had the Pharisees and all those types of things, the people that he was against and struggled with all the time. One of the issues with the Pharisees was they knew the truth in their heads. Oh boy, did they know the truth. Did they know the word? Did they understand it? But it never went from their heads to their hearts and therefore it led to law. It led to legalism. And it didn't just lead to the Ten Commandments and, and the, the, the other laws you have in the Old Testament. By the time you got to the first century when, when Jesus was around, they had hundreds of other laws that they'd added. Because, because they knew the truth here and they didn't know it here, it led to law. It led to law for them and it led to law for the people and it led them to judging the people. Oh, you're not keeping the laws. But actually... When Jesus came, who understood this head-to-heart grace thing, what did he do? Actually, he was full of grace towards people. He did the very opposite of what you might have thought. That's why Christianity, as a faith, is different to every other faith. Because it's not about your performance. It's not about you. It's all about him. And when you get that, even in a moment, for a moment, you, you get gratitude in your heart. And probably the next thing you get is a desire to, to tell someone. Yeah? So it's, you don't do the desire bit because, oh, well, the next thing you do when you become a Christian, you tell them. No, it's, it's a natural thing that comes out of you. You think about when you became a Christian, many of us when we became Christian, probably it wasn't long before we were telling people. We might struggle a bit more now, but it wouldn't have been long before you were saying, do you know what's happened to me? Do you know what's happened? And then you, you tell them as best you can uh, what's happened. And so thinking something and knowing something in my heart are different and, and I must let the truth permeate my heart. And so when we've done this little series on Joseph and we've talked about God meant it for good and what we've been trying to do on that or what I've been trying to do on that is saying, look, if we understand that even through the difficult the difficulties, the suffering, the challenging circumstances of our life, if we can get into our hearts that God meant that for good, it will change how we respond. It will change how you respond to suffering. If you just get this big picture, God meant it. Oh, God was in it. God was in it. It will change how you respond. It will change how you, how you talk to people who, what's one of the biggest questions people have about Christianity is if he's a God of love, why would he allow so much suffering? Your response to that will change if you understand God meant it for good. If you don't get that, your answer will be a little bit academic. But if you do get that, you'll say, no, 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 you've missed it. Don't, don't start talking about why. You, actually, God comes to me in my suffering. We all suffer. Yeah, the world has to find a way to deal with suffering. It's not just the church. Everyone has to find a way to deal with suffering. How do we deal with it? We go, oh, God, I come to you. And I recognise that you are in this.
So that's just like uh, the, the, you know, what, what we need to have in our minds and what, I've, what we've been trying to do. The truth must permeate the heart. If it doesn't permeate the heart, it, I may as well not know the truth because I live no differently to the person who doesn't, who's never heard the truth. So in terms of the story of uh, Joseph, we, we talked about, uh, the last time we, we were together, we, we talked about um, Joseph uh, finally meeting his brothers, and he has this back in, the two in and fro in, he sends them away, they come back, he sends them away again, and then finally Jacob, his father, and all the brothers and all the families come to Egypt, and uh, it's a wonderful moment in the story that where Jacob actually really begins to take centre stage again, because really he's the man of the promise, yeah, the promise was to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph never gets added to that list, God spoke to Abraham and confirmed this promise that you'll be a blessing and I will bless all nations through you. He brings the same promise to Isaac, the same promise to Jacob. And so Jacob ends up coming to Egypt through that promise. And he lives in Egypt for 17 years before he dies. When he arrives, uh, it becomes really obvious. He blesses Pharaoh. Yeah? Pharaoh is the, is the king of the, the most powerful nation in the world. Jacob has a, has a family of 70 people and he blesses Pharaoh. And so you think, oh, okay, there's something here. Behind Jacob, there's someone else. This is not just about him. And uh, he then blesses his sons before he dies. And then um, he, he gets Joseph and his sons to take him back to Canaan to bury him um, uh, after he died. And, and he gets buried in the same tomb that his father and grandfather and his, and his first wife, Leah, had been buried in. And what's he doing at that point? He's reminding himself of the promise. Yeah? This land of Canaan, we will inherit this land one day. He's reminding himself of the promise. And so, um, so, so all of that happens. And then we hit um, chapter 50, and I'm just going to read a few verses from verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays back for all the wrongs, pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, I find this quite funny, they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Maybe we forgot to tell you, he left these instructions. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of your servants, of the God of your father. Yeah, so they've reduced themselves from his brothers to his servants. Actually, in the original, not the original, but the NIV, when I've got at home, it talks about his slaves. Forgive your, uh, the sins of your servants, of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Joseph wept. His brothers then came and they threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. We are your slaves. So they no longer hold on to their, their status as brothers. They come to him as slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. 
I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with his father's family. He lived 110 years. He saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knee. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110 and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Father, be with us, we pray. Um, Holy Spirit, speak to us, bring revelation from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, the death of Jacob exposed a sad reality for Joseph's brothers. Despite all he had done for them, despite the fact that he had forgiven them, he had brought them to Egypt, he'd placed them in the best of the land in Goshen, they were still afraid. They were still afraid. And it was the kind of fear that people who've done something wrong feel. So these guys, by this time, they knew that they'd done something wrong. And we'd already seen that they'd changed somewhat. But they knew they'd done something wrong. And when you've done something wrong like they had done, it leads to one of three responses, really. You either, um, in your fear, you either fight. You fight the person that you, that you have wronged. You just attack them. Or you run away. Or... If you can't do either of those things, you just try and appease them. You, you try and appease that situation. You try and if, do what you can to make, it, to make it better. Because they had assumed for 17 years, the brothers had assumed that Joseph's forgiveness was conditional on the fact that their father was alive. So although he had forgiven them, and we know it was unconditional, for 17 years they lived as though... That, that forgiveness was conditional and that they were protected because Jacob was still alive. So at one level, forgiveness for them, they hadn't quite seen it. It hadn't dropped from the head to the heart. And so, because it hadn't dropped from the head to the heart, the way they responded, their fear, was exactly as somebody would respond who wasn't who hadn't been forgiven, who didn't understand that. So they responded fearfully. If they could have run, they would have run. If they could have fought, they could have fought. But they couldn't do either of those things, so they, tried, they did what? They tried to appease him. They tried to appease Joseph because they thought the most natural response that Joseph is going to have for us now that our father is dead is he's going to take revenge. He's got a grudge. We hurt him. He's going to get back at us. That was the most natural thing. And, and actually, take God out of the picture, that's a natural response. Put God in the picture and your response should be very, very different. Take God out, it's a natural response. So they're thinking, this is what Joseph is going to do. And so they set out to appease him. They tell him this story, which just sounds ridiculous. Oh, we forgot to mention, Joseph, about, uh, you know, that Father told us to tell you that you should forgive us. 
Yeah, like you, you just sort of think, really? You know, it's just a ridiculous story, really. Um, I'm sure Jacob would have told Joseph he wanted him to do that. And then, so they try to appease him, but, and how do they do that? They send a message. They don't go first to him. They send a message to him and they tell him that. Then they come to him, they take off their brotherhood and they put that down and they say, we're your slaves. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to appease Joseph so he doesn't take revenge. Because if Joseph took revenge, he could wipe them out in a moment and it wouldn't matter to him. So they recognise, oh, he has power here. We've got nothing. They throw himself on the floor. What they had failed to understand was when Joseph forgave them, he had really forgiven them. They didn't understand that. They didn't get that. So when he gets the story, when he gets this cock and bull story about you know, what Jacob had said, he weeps. He weeps. And the reason he weeps, he's almost like, oh, brothers, didn't you get it? That forgiveness was unconditional. It wasn't based on anything. You've, you've been living all this time within your heart wondering whether or not when father dies, is he going to get us? No, I'm not going to get you. I'm not going to get you. So they hadn't got the deep truth of their forgiveness. Their forgiveness was unconditional. There was nothing they could do. There was nothing they could do to win back all the years that Joseph has lost. There was nothing they could do to put it right. There was nothing they could do. Forgiveness was completely unconditional. There was nothing that Joseph said that made the, the, the forgiveness conditional in any way. But the truth is they lived with those wasted years. Joseph had truly changed. His response was not natural, which would have been revenge. It was supernatural, which is why it was forgiveness. Now, it's interesting. I've sort of just painted that picture, but, but I wonder where this came from for the brothers. It may have come from somewhere, and it was interesting. A few years before, there was a similar situation. A few years before, Jacob, their father, you'll know the story, he tricked his brother Esau into his birthright and his blessing. He tricked him. Yeah? So he ended up gaining those two things from Esau, the birthright and the blessing. And this is what it says in Genesis 27, verse 41. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. And he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near then I will kill my brother Jacob. I will kill my brother Jacob. In many ways, that is a natural response. Yeah, He holds this grudge. He's been tricked out of stuff that he can't get back now. He can't get it back. And he says, when father's gone, I'm going to get him. Yeah? He'd been hurt badly. And he was looking for revenge, and he held this grudge. The only thing that saves Jacob is his mother hears about it, and she says, you need to get out of here. You need to get out of here. So we know the story. Jacob goes, and he lives with his uncle Laban, his, his, his mother's brother. He lives with him for a number of years, and through those years, he, you know, he, he marries, he has children, and God blesses him. God blesses him. 
But there comes a point where Jacob knows it's time to return to the land. So he's, he's been living with his, brother, his, his, his uncle Laban. It goes a little bit wrong there. Um, and then there comes a point where he starts to head back to the land that God had called him to. And as he heads back, he hears one day that Esau's out looking for you and he's got 400 men with him. He's got 400 men with him and Jacob is, oh God. Oh God, what am I going to do? Because the last connection he had had with Esau, he had been told, your brother holds a grudge against you and he is going to kill you. That was the last he knew. So when he hears this, he's thinking, oh God, what am I going to do? So what he does, he splits up the family. He sends Rachel and the little children there, Joseph and Benjamin probably, and all the maidservants and stuff there. He sends Leah and all of those over this side. And he says to himself, maybe, maybe one of them will escape. When he comes, maybe one of them will get through. He then has that night where he wrestles with God. And we often hear about that. You know, Jacob wrestled with God and God touched him at the hip, changed his name to Israel. All of that was great, but do you know what it didn't do? It didn't help Jacob deal with this situation. Jacob was still afraid. He was still afraid of what would happen when he met Esau. So then what does he do? He can't run anymore. He can't fight him. He tries to appease him. And you'll see, the passage actually says, oh, he tried to appease him. So as well as separating his family, he sends ahead of him like 200 goats and cows. Not because he's trying to stop Esau running at him and that he trips over all the animals. He's trying to go, here, here, have some gifts. Oh, oh, oh my Lord, have some gifts. He's trying, and he does that a couple of times. And so Esau's riding in and he's thinking, what's all this? He comes up and there's cows and goats and he's thinking, what's going on? So he comes to Jacob with his 400 men and, and, the, and the Bible tells us that Esau jumps off his horse, he grabs his brother and, he, and I don't know why they do this, he wept on his neck. I don't know what the significance of weeping on the neck is. Joseph does that later, but, but Esau weeps on his neck. And Esau is clearly overjoyed to see his brother and he's weeping. Jacob is also weeping but probably with relief. Oh my goodness, I thought he was going to kill me and he's like really happy to see me. And it's interesting because, because then Jacob says, my Lord, my Lord, he's calling his brother, my Lord, you know, all these are for you. All these. Esau says, I don't need any of that stuff. I've got plenty. I've got stuff. I've got stuff. And Jacob finds that very difficult. He goes, no, 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 take it. Please take it. It's a gift. It's a gift to you. And then Esau says to him, look, I'm, I, let me escort you back. It's just wonderful to see you. Let me escort you back. Jacob is still afraid. Oh, no, you don't need to do that. No, don't really, really. I, you know, we've, we've got kids here. We've just got stuff. You go ahead in your horses and stuff. I'll, I'll sort the family. He's still frightened. He's still afraid. But you see, what had happened to Esau over the years, it wasn't that as time passed, he just got a bit better. Because you know, as well as I do, when you hold a grudge, one day or 10 years makes no difference. If you haven't dealt with it, it makes no difference. 
it can be as alive to you today as it was when it happened. It makes no difference. But Esau no longer held a grudge. He no longer held a grudge. He had held it there. He didn't hold it here. It's not clear why. It might be. It might be because God had obviously blessed Esau. So even though he had lost the birthright and the blessing, he wasn't going to be the guy going forward. God had clearly blessed Esau. And if you actually read Esau's response when Jacob says, I can't bless you, all he says is, just bless me. Just give me a blessing. That's all he wanted. He doesn't hold a grudge anymore. But for all those years, Jacob struggled. And the brothers, just like their father, they feared their brother, who was more powerful than they. They thought he wanted to take revenge on them, even though he had actually tried to forgive them. They were wrong. His forgiveness was genuine and it was total. It was not based on anything that they did. You see, when God demonstrates to us mercy, it's through forgiveness. God's mercy comes to you through forgiveness. And forgiveness was a sign that you'd been let off. Yeah, whatever was against you, you'd been let off. It's not there anymore. But God goes further than that, as did Joseph. With, with his brothers, Joseph says, you, you know, you don't need to worry about that. I'm not in the place of God. And not only that, I'm going to look after your family. I'm going to look after your little ones. And he speaks kindly to them. So he, he goes further than just forgiving them. He extends grace to them. He extends grace. That's what God does to us. God doesn't just show us mercy through forgiveness. He shows us his goodness through grace. Which means that we're not just forgiven for our sins. We're given a new identity. We're given a new, we're, we're made new in Christ. We're given all this other stuff. It's not just that we lose stuff, we're given stuff. That's grace. That's what grace is. It extends grace. So the gospel message is about forgiveness and it's about grace. Now, if that doesn't go from my head to my heart, I will struggle to forgive and I will struggle to extend grace. And if I don't learn to forgive, I'll just hold grudges. If I don't learn to extend grace, I will, I will exclude people who I should include. I will just love Jesus for myself and not worry about anyone else. So then I was just been talking to Pauline about this, this, this whole thing, and then and you get, okay, okay, if it's true that I need to get stuff from my head to my heart, because to be honest, you know whether the truth has permeated your heart. You know that. Because you know how you respond to stuff. Yeah? I don't need to convince you, you know, you know, and so Paulie and I have been having these conversations and we're saying, ah, it's not in here yet. Yeah? That piece of truth, it's in my head. I could write an essay about it as long as I could find the words. I could write an essay about it in terms of my understanding, but it hasn't touched my heart yet. 
because I know in that situation, that's how I'm responding. I know that. I don't need anyone to tell me that. I might want to just, you know, I can rationalise that, but I know really I'm not extending grace and I'm not forgiving. I know. And yet, this has been the whole point of this series. Is it's been all about we go through sufferings, we go through difficulties, we go through circumstances. People hurt us. If we don't get that God is involved in that, if we don't understand that his purposes can be worked out through that, we will blame people, we will judge people, we will criticise people, we will hold grudges. But if we do understand what God is doing, we'll say, oh, we're humbled. Because what suffering does, the correct response to suffering, the most natural response to suffering for the believer is humility. It's a recognition that, oh, I can't do anything. Only, only God can do things. I can't change anything. This situation is difficult. I need to turn to him because I cannot fix it. It's humility. It's a recognition that it's not in, it's not in my power to change this. That takes humility. Even though at times I try and change it because I haven't yet been humbled. I'm still working on that. And so for others of us, there's a sense of how we handle suffering, but there's also this sense of how we handle hurt. And this idea of unconditional forgiveness, it's like, it's like an anathema. It doesn't, it doesn't enter my head. No, I do not believe that. This person deserves that. If you knew what they did, you wouldn't be saying that. That's how we sometimes think. So then we don't respond in the way that is consistent with what we believe. We respond in the way that's consistent with as if we didn't believe it. So I talked about truth right at the beginning. I talked about truth needs to permeate from your head, i.e. from understanding to your heart, in order for you to respond according to the gospel, according to the truth that you believe. So how does truth move from my head to my heart? Because when I was talking to Pauline about this, my wife, I, and I said that, she said, great, yeah, okay, I, I agree with that. But how do I then do that? Because if I don't know how to do it, I'm just going to continue in the, in, the, in the cycle that I'm in. The parable of the sower helps us. This is what the parable of the sower says. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown, as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes it away, away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed, sown on rocky places, they hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only in a short time, and when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed, sown among thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Just quickly, the seed along the path. It's like us, we, the word comes to us, we don't understand it, and so we reject it immediately. So, if, so if, you're not, if, you're not a, if you're not a Christian and, you're not, and, you're, and your heart is hard, you will hear the gospel and it will make no sense to you and you'll just reject it immediately. That just doesn't make any sense. So you might have watched the Bible thing last night and you'll just think that is ridiculous. Boom, it's out. 
that seed sown on, sown, on the, sown on the path, when the heart is hard-hearted. You reject things out of hand. You don't even give it a moment's thought. You know, or, being more personal, you might hold a grudge against someone and you're, you're so convinced that what they did is undeserving of forgiveness that it doesn't even occur to you that that, that, could, be, that could be a response. No, 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 not on this one. Never. If you knew, no, never. You don't even consider it. The seed among the rocks is where the word is heard, it's understood and received, but it doesn't penetrate. It doesn't go any deeper. This might mean that you are, you're consciously doing the right thing. You hear the word, you understand the word, you receive the word, and you, and you consciously begin to operate according to the word. It might affect what you do, it might affect what you say. But you know, and I know, it doesn't affect my heart. And the way I really know that is when pressure comes, I react according to the heart. I don't react according to my knowledge. I react according to what's in here. So although I might understand about forgiveness, you hurt me deep enough in the right place, I am not forgiving you. Yeah? That would be a sign of seed that's fell on the rocks. There's no root. It doesn't go anywhere. It's unable to produce fruit. Because it actually says, the passage actually says, when trouble or persecution comes, so when the pressure's on, you just react according to what's in your heart. You know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, that isn't always, initially, that's not the case, because many of us are bright enough and intelligent enough that we can do and say the right things. But when the pressure comes, you can't do that, unless it's in there. If it's not in there, you will react in a different way. The seed among the thorns is where the seed has penetrated your heart, but it's unable to grow up, mature, and bear fruit because of other stuff in your heart. So it, so it fights with other stuff. So when you're, if your heart is like this, where it's, it's open, it's warm towards God, you're, you're open to God, you're wanting to do his, his will, but actually you still struggle it, the battle, it's because there are thorns, there are other things. It's a battle. This is, this is what Paul describes in Romans 7 when he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. For I, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And many of us are there. Which, yeah, yeah, you're right, it's a battle. I want to do the right thing, but all the time I just end up doing the wrong thing. Or sometimes I do the right thing, other times I just do the wrong thing. And I'm going like this all the time, every day. Oh, yeah, I don't want to look at that, you know, and I, I, I'll put all these things in place, oh, and then I've done it. I don't want to get annoyed, you know, I don't want to lose it with that person, but oh, I've done it. And I'll go and I'll say sorry, but why do I keep doing that? That's where Paul's at. I want to do the right thing, but I struggle. I want to love and forgive others, but I don't. That's sometimes where we are. My love, do you want to come up? Okay, I just asked my love, Pauline, to uh, just as we were talking about this yesterday, it was just a helpful conversation. I just want her to share a little bit about um, um, just an experience that she had. Do you remember? Do you know? Yeah, 
Yeah, why don't you stay with me? Okay, I'll be um, there. Only ask that because um, I feel a bit inadequate to speak. I don't know why I'm normally full of lots of things to say. Um, <laughs> but for some reason, I think we're normally best when we talk together. If you could sort of be... Okay, so you want us to have a... Oh, well, I'm going to start, but I want you to interject if I, okay. if I sort of lose my train. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think, as I understand it, you've asked me to share a personal journey. Would that be correct? Yeah, so we've talked about a situation where you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got, yeah. Got, yeah. Um, I, I sort of felt really challenged by this. Talk, and, I, and funnily enough, I have for the last week. We've both been feeling the same thing, haven't we? Yeah. And we both prayed the same thing independently, which really shows that God is speaking. And we both prayed the same prayer. It was quite... Yeah. When we chatted, it was like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> it was sort of just one of those moments, which was great. And um, Owen then said what he was talking on. And I, I had had an incident... It was quite some years ago, actually, where I'd been hurt by someone. And... And it's so funny how your perspective can change depending on where you're at. And I definitely, at that point, was on the hard path. Um, I find that analogy interesting that came through our discussion because I'd, I'd often seen that analogy just in terms of salvation, you know, about people hearing the word and becoming Christian. But actually, there's so much more to it that, that mm. I felt. And so I felt I was on the hard path in the sense that I had got a bit of a righteous indignation towards this person. I thought, no, you know. So the truth couldn't even penetrate the fact that, you know, how many times you forgive your brother, 77 times 7. That wasn't in my mind at that moment. It was like, no, that was clearly wrong. I'm hurt. I'm right, you know. And, and I was on this path, and Owen was really great to me because there was a couple of times I wanted to go and educate this person, <laughs> as you do. And, you know, with a good heart to tell them, so if they do that to somebody else in the future, you know, it'll help them. But I really, I mean, fortunately, Owen, Owen could see what heart that was coming out of. And it was one of not a pure heart, I would say. And so you stopped me doing that a few times, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> and, which I'm enormously grateful. Um, and I, I then, God really helped me. He, he revealed something to me of when he asked the disciples to pray for him. I was really challenged by that, how they let him down, but they didn't do it on purpose. But the reality was they'd still let him down, you know, even though they didn't do it on purpose. I found that quite releasing because I felt in this scenario that I personally was in, this individual hadn't maliciously hurt me or let me down, but, but I was still left with the reality of the hurt of that. And so that was, a, that was a breaking moment. I felt I almost moved off of the hard path, I should say, onto the rocky ground. Uh, to be honest, I probably still sit with the thorns. I'm probably at that level. My journey, I, I still sit with the thorns because I, I passionately, and, and that's what we're praying with it, I, I wanted to have a pure heart. And what well, I wanted, I want to have a pure heart. And I want to have one that is unconditional regardless of what comes my way. And I don't think I'm there yet because I, I know that because I can be quite judgmental when I'm faced with scenarios. And I have God's like that. And, and I found, I hope you don't get emotional, I found when we spoke, mm. when he was reading out Joseph and he said, Joseph, you know, when the brothers came with that story, which is humorous, but he wept. And I just thought, Oh my gosh! I, when he was reading, in my heart, what was coming out was, 
after all, if I was Joseph, after all I've done for you, I've given you the best of the land, I've done this, done that, and that's still how you do it. And, and that, obviously, it, that just belies where my heart is. It's, it's a conditional love. And I felt really provoked that Joseph wept. So there was no thought of, you know, they, I mean, man, they, they were going to kill him. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But there was no thought in his heart of that. His, his heart was purely one for them. He wept not for himself, but for them. And when they came to him, he, there was no conditional thing about it. It, it was, again, he, he ended up giving out to them, having to support them and allay their fears and da 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 And I, I, I mean, I desperately want to get to that point because I think the few times... If I, if I go back to the hard path, there was one occasion where I did approach this individual and I mentioned something, thinking, ha, I'm going to get you here. But their response just made it worse for me. So it, it just is a, it's a horrible place to sit because it just ate away at me even more and then I was even more angry. Whereas to be unconditional in your love is just so freeing and so releasing. And, and actually it's a benefit, not just to you, but to the individuals concerned and... And so that's... Was that enough? Yeah, that's fine, Matt. Okay. <laughs> that's fine. Matt, where's Matt? Do you want to just come up? Because I'm going to finish in a moment. So, so we've looked at the, those seeds. Then you've got the seed on the good soil. And for us, the good soil is not, oh, you've got bad soil, I've got good soil. The good soil, one of the ways of looking at the good soil is when your heart has been weeded of all the thorns. It's all, you, you've taken it all out. That's the good soul. The good soul isn't like, well, I just don't have a good heart. Yeah? No, your heart, you're, the good soul is when your heart has been weeded of all the thorns. So it's something that you progress to. It's not just something that you appear to have. However, once you get there, once, once your heart gets there, and, and you've allowed the Holy Spirit to water and cultivate the seed, because seed's always being dropped in your heart. It's just what's happening to it. It's always being dropped in your heart. You will produce good fruit. You won't need to try. Yeah? You don't go, I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to be gracious. <laughs> yeah? You can tell. Joseph was not responding like that. I'm going to be gracious. Or Esau. Esau's shocked. Why are you sending me all this stuff? Yeah? Once you've got there, good fruit is produced because that's what happens in a good heart. And it says in John 15, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Yeah? So the fruit you bear will show people that you're his disciples. You don't need to work at it. Yeah? Because that's what happens if you plant an apple tree, it produce apples. And so sometimes you might need to prune it, but that's what happens. So we were talking uh, about this, and th- those are the, the, the states of the soil. And then I thought, well, how, how do we get there? You know, Pauline talked about, uh, I was in this position and I moved. How did she move? Well, one of the things that she said, and we talked about it, was it was a revelation of truth. It was this revelation, it was this understanding, you know, um, that, that things moved from her head to her heart when she recognised, oh, the disciples let Jesus down and they didn't mean to. And yet he sort of accepted that. It's a revelation of truth. 
John 8, verse 32 tells us, know the truth and the truth will set you free. So have that truth revelation. It will set you free to be able to, 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 to move towards this. Secondly, another way that you might get there is just through a humble acceptance. So the brothers, they just, in the end, had to accept. And this is speculation. I wonder whether they got there because, remember, Joseph said to them to swear by oath, make sure you take my bones out of Egypt. Now, that doesn't happen for 400 years, but they must have told their children that, who told their children that, who told their children that, who told their children that. So something had happened in them. A humble acceptance of, oh, gosh, unconditional grace, unconditional forgiveness. Oh, I need to extend that to other people. And then the third thing I I think we need is we need to learn to love one another. Jesus said to his disciples, the same John, book of John, this is my command, love one another. And a key part of growing and maturing and truth reaching our hearts is in one anothering. It's not about me going off on my own, seeking God, sorting it out and coming back. That is not how I truly mature. I mean, I sometimes use this phrase that that sometimes... God matures people simply because they are in a church and they allow that church to shape them. You just allow it. You get buffeted about maybe by some, you know, by some bigger people and you're like, oh my goodness, I know that experience. Being in a church when I'm buffeted about by bigger people who I think I'm a bit better and I'm like, boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, oh, don't tell you. Yeah? I've got all the experiences you can go through in a church where you're let down, you're spoken back, all those things. I've gone through all of those things. But I've realised that that if you go through those things and you allow yourself to be shaped by that, your heart can become become like this. It takes out your thorns. Yeah? The the pride. Yeah? The unforgiveness. I'm, I'm challenged because this person has forgiven me. Or, or I'm challenged. Every time I went on a church on a Sunday, I would be open. I'd be like, listening. what's, what's God going to say to me? What's the worship going to say to me? What, uh, man, I went through some stuff. But I realised as I look back, God, that's one of the ways that you just shaped me, that maturity came, because I was in a herd of elephants, if you like, and I wasn't a big one, and so I was being knocked about, and as a result, I, I just had to grow up. I had to grow up. Now, you can avoid doing that by being in a church, but actually you've withdrawn. So you don't allow the church to do that to you. But it's one of the ways you mature. I mean, we had a a really nice evening the other day with with Simon and Kim. And they're they're going, they're leaving Beacon, and they're going down to near Bognor, and we're going to miss them. Um, no, Bogner. I'm going to say Bogner because Bogner is your closest town. Um, so why would you go to Bogner anyway? But what you got, what I got was that when we just met, met them and we were just chatting and stuff, was here's a couple that have allowed themselves to be shaped by church. They've just allowed themselves to be buffeted. Now, I'm not saying they've enjoyed being buffeted. No one enjoys it. But you've allowed yourself. You've not given up. You've not gone, oh, it's just me and God. It's not the church. Now, God calls us to be a people. Loving one another's the thing. 
So a key part of our growing and maturing and having our hearts opened is that we learn to love one another. Okay, sorry. Okay, we're just going to stand and sing. That's Owen. Um, as I was driving here this morning, I was just uh, reminded of a story. We actually prayed it in the prayer meeting. And uh, there was a, a blind guy, and he'd come to church, and they were praying for him for healing. And they had absolute faith that he was going to get healed. And they prayed for him again and again, and then they asked him sort of what's happening, and could he see, and no, he couldn't see anything. They, start, they felt there was something missing, and so they stopped the, um, the, the, sort of that, that praying session. They took him to one side and started talk, talking to him and found out his story. And when he was a, a young boy, there was an individual who had hit him, struck him, and as a consequence, he'd gone blind. And the, uh, the individuals who were with him said, have you forgiven that, that man yet? That man that hit you? And he said no, and he started to cry, and he just wept, and he wept. And I asked him, could he forgive him? And eventually he said yes, and so he went through a process. And that person stood in and, and asked in, in response. He asked, look, if I'd been that man, would you forgive me? And as the, the, the uh, guy, he cried and cried again, he then forgave him. They then prayed for him again for healing. And his eyes were opened like that. And I think God wants us to do something this morning. I think he wants us to respond because we've all been buffeted by things in life. It can be when we were children. It can be as we've been growing up. It can be more recently. It can be through church. We've all experienced those things. But actually, if we take the example of that, that particular individual, the one thing, the one person that was affected was him. He couldn't see. As he extended that forgiveness, he got the breakthrough. And I believe just as we worship now, there's an opportunity. If God pinpoints something in our lives where we can just extend that forgiveness. Because in all of this, there's a number of things we can do, but ultimately it comes down to a choice. We have to choose to. So we're going we're gonna to sing, and then we'll pray to close the, uh, the service. But if that's speaking to you this morning, I just encourage you to respond as we sing.